Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are good. And we ask that now as we look into your word, you would illuminate it in a new and fresh way. May our hearts hear something new. May our ears be tuned to what you have to say. And in your spirit, would you give us um, a renewed sense of hope and joy as we talk about the resurrection of the Son. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that makes it possible for us to have a relationship and to commune with you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, and we thank you for the victory over sin and death. Be with us now as we hear from you and hear from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, fear can cause us to respond in many ways. Perhaps you yourself have witnessed or experienced being fearful. Fear causes us to to gather and hoard. Fear causes us to keep uh, for ourselves. Um, Fear also can cause us to not move at all, to do nothing. I'm, I'm reminded of this movie, and perhaps maybe it's getting a little old, so it's not as widely remembered, but the movie Saving Private Ryan. One of the things that strikes me in that movie is the way fear causes someone to be unable to do anything. There's this scene where these troops, Ryan as as well as uh, a couple others, are um, in the middle of a battle. And there's one guy that he's supposed to be running ammunition back and forth uh, to make sure people have what they need. But what happens is he is frozen by fear of potentially being shot or, or potentially something happening to him. And he, he just can't move. And so he can't bring anything to uh, one of his um, uh, people that he's with. He can't bring them ammunition. And what ends up happening is, is that man passes away, but then the enemy doesn't even bother with the guy who's frozen in fear. He just walks by, he sees him, he sees him crying, he sees him weeping and, and not doing anything, and, and he doesn't even bother with him. Fear can do so much in our lives. Um, it can cause so many different reactions of the way we treat one another, how we do things, and so on. And perhaps you've read news articles lately about how people perhaps are living right now in a sense of fear and just uncertainty. Uh, a word we keep hearing is unprecedented. This is an unprecedented time where we don't quite maybe know enough about what's going on. Beyond those types of things, I've been thinking about other types of fears, like fear of, what about those who are alone right now? Fear of of being alone. What about, what kind of fear does someone who is sick right now have? Whether it's with coronavirus or whether it's with some other condition that they had previously. What about those who are in hospitals? 
What type of fear would they have where they're unable to see their family members even though that they're sick? I wonder, what about the family members? How fearful are those loved ones who can't go visit their mother, their father, their son, their daughter, their friend because the virus doesn't allow people to do visiting anymore? What about this fear? What about those who pass away? The fear of dying alone. What about those who are unable to gather and mourn and share stories and remember and know the one who's lost? What type of fear comes up? Two, what about those who have, have planned weddings? planned joyous gatherings, and yet now there's a potential fear that they need to come up with contingency plans, fear of not being able to get a marriage license right now, fear of not being able to take part in those celebrations, fear of not being able to get deposits back, fear of, of the realization that they had in their mind not coming true. You know, we, saw, we see fear elsewhere. We don't just see it uh, in, uh, in our lives, but we see it also in Scripture. We see fear all throughout the book of Mark. After Jesus, he calms the storm. The people are fearful. They are in awe and in wonder about what he's done, but yet they're fearful about, about those same things as well. Jesus, he heals a man of an unclean spirit, and the people are fearful once again, once they see the person in his right mind. As Jesus is walking on the water towards the disciples, the disciples are terrified and fearful. The disciples are fearful too after Jesus says that he's going to die and he's going to rise, and he did that three times. People who followed Jesus were afraid. They were fearful. And now we get to the resurrection story in Mark chapter 16. And the people, they're still afraid. Emily, would you read that story for us today? When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter 
He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. You know, Emily, I think those last words that they didn't say anything to anyone because they were fearful makes us perhaps ask some questions. Like, how long would the women stay silent? How long would the women not say anything about the authority that they've seen Jesus exercise throughout his whole earthly ministry? Those three years where they walked with him or they heard about what he had done. Others, and perhaps these women themselves, had witnessed firsthand sometimes when Jesus would teach with authority. They had witnessed or heard about how Jesus healed and how he had power over nature and diseases and that he had power over really the world and now his own life he had power over it. That he was not there in the grave and they heard from the messenger. But how long would they go and they be silent about it? Would the ladies be willing to trust this young messenger, that young man, you know, the word young man in, in uh, Jewish literature oftentimes referenced some type of holy or heavenly being. So it was, an, it was like an angel. It was likely an angel that these women saw and they heard this message that he is not here, but he is risen. And I wonder, I wonder how long they would go silent. Because in that day, the, the Jewish people really didn't trust women as reliable witnesses. They weren't used as witnesses in the court of law. They were, they were placed at a, a lower tier of, of trustworthiness. And yet, Mark and Matthew and Luke, the Gospels, they record not men that witnessed the tomb being empty first, but yet it's, it's women. Women that come to the temple, or come to the tomb, and view it empty. And then they must go on and be the first witnesses of what happens. But how long would they live in that fear you know, they were, weren't just fearful then, but they were alarmed when they first saw this angel on the right side of the tomb. But the angel says, no, don't be alarmed because Jesus has risen from the dead. That's what our translations say, risen. And we say, he has risen, he has risen indeed. Well, the Greek does not support that translation, unfortunately. Because the Greek actually says, Jesus has been raised. And I think there's a key, key difference from being risen. That would be something that he himself alone did, but by being raised from the dead. It means that it was not just himself that raised, uh, that caused him to rise from the dead. We see 
elsewhere in Scripture in Galatians that Galatians 1 verse 1 that it was God the Father who raised Christ from the dead and in John chapter 10 verse 17 and 18 we see that God did say that the Son has authority to lay down his life and, and raise it up again to take up his life but Paul explains as well in Romans chapter 8 verse 11, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was the one who resurrected the Savior. It was the whole Trinity working together to raise Jesus up from the dead. It was the Spirit, the Father, and the Son working together in accordance of of one mind, in accordance with the authority and sovereign power that God has. And it makes us wonder, how long are we going to try to live under our own authority? How long are we going to try to to do things on our own, rather than believing in the testimony of others who have been in our life? How long are we going to live believing in ourselves? rather than believing in the power and the presence of a Savior who has been raised from the dead by way of the Father and by way of the Spirit. It's Jesus. It's the Father. It's the Spirit who have ultimate authority over life. And it's even written in Scripture that all other enemies will be made a footstool before the throne of Jesus Christ who reigns in heaven. The same Jesus Christ that conquered sin and death, the same Jesus Christ invites you, invites you just like that angel to not fear. Do not fear, but only believe. The thing about fear is it robs us of perspective. And the resurrection gifts us perspective. But the truth about perspective is that it doesn't erase reality. And I think we can acknowledge that right now in this current season. Even with perspective. This side of the cross. The reality is life is hard right now. And it will continue to be hard for a while. Things are going to change. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And our world is going to continue to be turned upside down. And that's part of reality right now. But the perspective is the eye of the Lord who is on his throne. was set into motion that Easter morning 2,000 years ago. Because that morning, Christ reconciled us and creation from that moment. He's still doing it. Something has happened that can pull us out of fear. Which helps us see things the way God sees them. Pain and suffering still exist but they don't get the final say. That's the hope that Easter brings. The perspective is that 
Jesus came. The creator of the universe came here to earth to embody humanity. He is our sacrifice because we couldn't do it. He is perfectly obedient because we couldn't be. And he died the death that we deserved. And it is in his resurrection that God says that that substitute is approved. That transaction is done. I approve that transaction. I approve that that death is sufficient and the debt has been paid. That's what the resurrection shows us. And it's in his victory over death that can pull us out of fear. Now, fear doesn't mean we won't be angry. We can be angry, but in our anger, we should not sin. Anger is appropriate, actually. I think anger points us to heaven because anger stirs something in us that says something isn't right. This isn't the way it should be. That's very true right now. A lot of us are experiencing that emotion. Something is wrong. It shouldn't be like this. Something is broken. And that points us to what it should be and what it will be when all things are perfectly reconciled. So in our anger, don't sin, but see that something is more heavenly. See the perspective of what it should be. Our world has been affected by sin. That's true. But it's not dominated by it because Jesus Christ overcame death and sin. And that is why we celebrate today. We celebrate with the unknown, not sure how this all is going to turn out. We celebrate in the midst of, I don't know what these implications are going to be for our world. I don't know what my future will be, but we celebrate. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking how truer could we be to the first witnesses of the resurrection? They have those same sentiments. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what the implications of this have for me. Those women who first witnessed Jesus out of the tomb, I can only imagine. They didn't know what it was going to mean for them, for the rest of the world, and they didn't know how everything was going to turn upside down. But they still celebrated, even in fear. Because they believed Jesus has risen. Thanks be to God. I think the question this brings us, will you trust God? Will you trust God in the word of his messenger, whether that's Jesus or whether that's the angel or whether that was your your neighbor, or whether that was Emily and I right now. Will you trust God in the word of his messenger? The message that said Christ has been raised from the dead. Will you turn away in fear? Or will you, as a follower of Christ, proclaim the resurrection? Will you recognize for who God is and how he has 
authority over our life and how He cares so deeply for us that He would die for us. I'm reminded of the words of a song that I've been listening to for the last year and a half, probably. He is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. When all hope seems to be lost, when things seem to be so bleak and so dark, it's God who brings the light and the hope. The light of salvation, who is Jesus Christ, and the hope of eternal life, which will not end, and it will be with Him. Will you put your hope in the one who holds the universe in His hand, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak clearly to us, that your spirit would work inside of us to cause us to trust you more deeply, to recognize this message that never gets old, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. And that we can believe that in faith and live our lives in obedience to you. Amen.